we see God ask, we see King David ask God the questions that other people around him didn't want to ask. The challenges to God, why? Why are we in this thing? Why are we doing this the way that we're doing? And when we're speaking about Alex during the week, you know, I just said to God, here's a woman that is swinging her sword for you, who is fighting for you. And I had this, this comfort of God to say, you know, What's happening in this house is a, is a testament of who he is. The enemy is scared. And the reality of what we're walking through here is that God has something big for us. God has something that he wants this house to do. And just for the record, we're not the only house walking in pain and struggle at the moment. And we're not the only group of people walking in pain and struggle. But we have the easiest way out. We have the strength. And God really showed, showed me something that I've seen before. And I don't know if we shared it here, but if you have your Bible, just go with me to Genesis 8.11. As I was sitting there this morning worshipping, I, I was just running through my head all the different people in the Bible and the issues that they faced and the, and the, the mountains that they had to climb. And God brought to me nowhere to mind. So the, the mountain that Noah climbs, we all know how big that mountain was. He was asked to build a boat for a flood that was supposed to come and wipe the earth out. He does it on his own, essentially with his family, and he builds this boat of amazing size with tools that we we almost couldn't build the boat today that, that he built in the time that he built it. So the, the size of the mountain that he was asked to climb was astronomical. He gets all the animals on the boat, the water comes, he sets sails as we know. And the most interesting thing is this, when the water subsides, he sends our raven to bring something back and it comes back empty-handed. Now Noah must have been sitting on that boat thinking, God, this has got to be almost over. Otherwise, the first raven he would have sent, the first dove he would have sent, would have brought something back because he would have realized the timing of God. But the fact that he sent something out and nothing came back goes to show that he didn't know what was happening. He was standing on a boat with water crashing the sides, with animals all over the place, which would have had a horrible smell. He would have been worked his hands to the bone to, to look after and to care for these animals. And he's saying to God, God, where is the land? Where is this thing that you've, you've promised me? And as we know the story, he sends out the dove on the final turn and it comes back with a leaf to show that there was land growing. And he takes the boat to land and he gets that salvation there. But you know, if Noah had jumped overboard to swim and find the land, he would have drowned. If he had panicked and started throwing animals overboard, they also would have drowned. But the reality for Noah was that he knew that, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know God told me to stay in the boat, so I'll stay in the boat. The reality of what, Mo, of what Noah stood in was, God told me to stay here, so I'll stay here. It made no sense. It still makes no sense to this day why God would tell him to, why didn't God just recreate the animals? But he told Moses what to do and Moses stayed on the boat. And if you go to Genesis 8.11, a little bit before that, 8, 9. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him in the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, he took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. 
And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly picked olive leaf. So no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days. So he knows now the, the, the water has subsided. He waits seven more days and he sends the dove out again. Wait seven more days, sent forth a dove, and, and she did not return to him anymore. So just before he, he finds out this land, he sends the dove out and the dove never comes back. And that's not a very uncommon thing, pretty normal, until you start to question, why does the Bible tell us that he sends the dove out again? So go with me to Matthew 3.14. I want to show you the reality that, that the story of Moses, sorry, the story of Noah, God is showing us that he's given us a protection. He's told us how to stay safe. So Matthew 3.13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have, would have prevented him saying, I need, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and come to rest on him. You see, Jesus is showing us a picture that when Noah sent the dove, he sent the dove from the ark, and when the dove returned, it returned back to the ark. The ark of protection that we have rested on Jesus in that time when he was baptized. The dove ascending onto Jesus has to do with the fact that Jesus is saying, I'm your ark. I had protection for Noah in the days of the flood and I have protection for you now in the days of the torment that you're going to walk through. The reality of Jesus coming out of the water, pardon me, and the dove ascending on him is a picture of him saying, I am your ark. So when we are being tossed and froed, being beaten and, and crashed by the waves and we look out and people say, just put your peace in Jesus, that's what Noah did. Now, yes, you can argue the fact that, that Noah had no other choice. If he jumped overboard, that would have been ridiculous. It's just as ridiculous for us. When we start to really understand the reality of Jesus Christ, the reality of Christianity that we put our heart into, we start to realize that the stupidity for us to jump out of the ark is just as it was for Noah. So when we face big storms, we get the, the, the question for ourselves, where am I? What's the point of this? The point of this is that your rest you will find in the ark. So we keep coming back and we keep coming back and we keep coming back to the fact that Jesus has given us a promise. I spoke about it two weeks ago to hold on to the promise that God gives you. The biggest promise that Jesus made for us to walk through this thing was that he will protect us and cover us. We see it so often throughout the Bible, I have the plans to prosper you and not, for, not to harm you. And we get upset when things don't go our way. We're allowed to ask questions. We're allowed to get frustrated just as Noah was and send the dove out. I'll just check. But what we're not allowed to do and what is absolutely ludicrous for us to do is to jump out of the ark. Remove ourselves from the, the covering of Jesus and go, I, I'm sick of this, I can't do it this way. One of the most incredible things that, that we got to speak about with Alex a few weeks ago was that she refuses to let go of the fact that I don't know what's happening, but I refuse to let go of Jesus. I don't know what waves are crashing at us and I don't know where the land is, but I refuse to get out of the ark. 
And when we can start to walk and understand this in every aspect of our life and start to say, God, I don't know what's happening, but I refuse to get out of the ark. We begin to build this Christianity, this walk, this, this understanding of, of, I don't know what it means all the time. And trust me, I don't know what it means all the time. I can spend hours looking and, and sometimes God will give me an answer and sometimes he won't, but I refuse to get out of the ark. It doesn't really have anything to do with what I was going to preach on, but it, <laughs> that's the way God works. Eh? Um, it, it, it just, it, it's just, it does a little bit. It, it just grips me for us to understand the reality of what we're doing here. That this thing, we don't just come on a Sunday morning for, for the sake of it. We don't just show up and, and play music for the sake of it. I said to, to the worship team this morning, guys, we're not here because no one else could be. We're here for a purpose. When we wake up in the morning, we wake up for a purpose. Whether we're a mother, a father, a leader in some, every one of us is a leader in some part of our life. There's a part where you take charge somewhere in your life. There's a purpose that God has you there. And we can harp this over and over and over and over again. But the fact is, is that Jesus is saying, I have a plan and a purpose for you. Stay in the ark and let me show you what I have for you. Dave spoke last week, if you weren't here, Dave spoke last week about participation. He spoke about the fact that as a body we need to get excited about what the Holy Spirit's doing, about what Christ is doing in our lives, and we need to participate in that. He spoke about it from a, a position of not just within the church, but within our life. We need to participate in what God has for us. So I kind of want to carry that on this morning and, and talk about the fact that we have a call and a purpose. We've been speaking about it with discipleship for the last sort of five or six weeks, but we have a purpose and a call. But if we're not willing to do anything with it, then we may as well not have a purpose or a call. Go with me to Matthew 8 verse 1. Matthew 8 verse 1. I have quite a few different scriptures that I want to share. Okay, so Matthew 8 verse 1. Jesus He's cleansing a leper and he says, when, when he came down from the mountain, great clouds, crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, this is fascinating, but Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So this, this leper would have, would have been so excited and overjoyed that his life in that time, lepers were the, the bottom of the rung because it, their leprosy could, was contagious. So no one would touch them. They weren't allowed in the temples. They had a very lowly life to beg and, and hope they could get enough. They couldn't work. So this leper goes from being a nobody to all of a sudden being a very important somebody. But Jesus says to him, don't speak. Go and show yourself. And you think, this guy would have been 
yelling at people as he was running down the street, telling them what had happened. But the very reality that Jesus says to him, I need you to go and show yourself. Because who you are and who I've made you to be will come out so much better than what you can explain it to be. See, sometimes as Christians, we get ourselves caught in this thing where I've got to, I've got to talk a big talk, but we forget to walk the big walk. But Jesus is saying to this leper, show yourself and I'll show them who I am through you. As Christians, we, we get ourselves in this position where if I look all together and I'm showing that I'm all together and I'm showing that I know what I'm doing, then people will see that I'm a good Christian. But people don't catch what you say you have. People catch what you actually have. So as Christians, we need to get ourselves in this reality of, Jesus, I'm going to mimic you. That's why Paul says to the disciples, follow me as I follow Christ. Let me show you the way to do it. I can tell you and I will tell you, but let me show you first rather. Because there's nothing more frustrating when somebody gives you a a list of different words and say, you know, how awesome you are and, and how amazing you are and how much they want to support you, and then you turn around for their support and they're nowhere to be seen. The next time they say that to you, you're not as quick to take that on board. And the next time you're even less inclined to to hear what they have to say. So the very reality of what Jesus is saying is, is follow me, let me show you, which is what we've been speaking about as disciples. It's fascinating that Jesus chose the Jewish um, world to enter in and model out his kingdom because they had a fascinating way. I've used that word a lot, haven't I? They had a, an, a, an interesting way to, to model out something. So you lived with the disciples. We've explained that before. You modeled the disciple because he was saying what you do is worth more than what you say. So as we begin to understand, okay, God, what, how am I going to change this thing? Jess and I were speaking during the week about some of the things we were facing and, and we came to the conclusion that we have no idea, which is quite an interesting conclusion to get to. But the reality of that was, was God, I don't know what to do in this situation. But God does. Exactly right. So when we get to a place where we go, God, I'm going to continue to act who you are. I'm going to continue to model who you are. So when we go into a situation where we don't have the answers, Jesus has the answers, so I'll just do what Jesus does. We're the the younger brother who keeps looking at the older brother to see what we're supposed to do. I'll grab the ball. But we mimic what Jesus is doing because that's the only way that we can overcome some of these battles that we're in. And it's interesting because we get ourselves in a place where it sounds so cliche. Oh, that's what they all say. Well, that's what the Bible says. I don't know how to stay in the ark. Well, we better spend some time and find out. I don't know how to rest in God. Then let's just start with the things that we do know. We know that we can pray and we know that we can read our Bible, bottom line. We know that we can shut the door and just say to God, I need you to come now. Because when we ask for him to come, and we're genuinely seeking who he is, he will turn up every time. It may not be how you expect him to turn up. It may be a completely different way, which tends to happen 95% of the time. But he comes, and that's all that matters. One of the reasons that I think I cry so much, you know, when, when I get in that place is that 
I can't get past the fact that the creator of the universe wants to sit face to face with us. That when we have, when we have genuine questions, he wants to bring genuine answers. The more I walk along this journey, the more I start to realize this thing is so important and so real to us. That I challenge myself every morning to, to want to know what God wants me to do so that I can just be where he is. You know, when Moses, when Moses is going to leave, um, when, when Moses is getting ready to, to, to leave the Exodus and go to chase the, the promised land, he says to God, I won't go if you're not going. I would rather stay in this terrible place with you than go to a beautiful, beautiful place without you. When we can truly begin to understand what Moses was saying and go, God, I don't care if, you've, if I've been offered the best job in the world. You're not there, so I'm not going. I don't care if I'm going to move to the, the, the best city in the world with, with the most amazing things. If you're not there, I'm not going. And when we begin to shift our lives, that when we wake up in the morning, we go, God, what, where do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? And you know, sometimes he's going to ask you to put your head in a place that you don't want to be. A job you used to do and you don't want to do that anymore. I'm past that now. And God's going, no, no, I left some things back there for you. But the reality is, God, if you're not there, I don't want to go. And I know what you're thinking, but Ben, the, the Bible says that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Yeah, he won't. But when you start kicking in doors that he hasn't opened, and you wonder why there's so much crap behind that door, that's because he didn't open it. Yes, he will be in there and help you walk through it, but you don't have to walk through the door with the crap in it. See, we, we go... God will come with me so I can do my own thing and God will be with me through that. Yes, he will be with you through that. But gee, it's going to be ten times harder than what you could have had. I don't know where I heard it. It was some, somewhere during the week. No, it was Dave said it yesterday. Last week, sorry. Dave said it last week about um, the grass is always greener on the other side, but you can water your own grass. You know, we, we look at the grass on the other side and then we jump the fence and we get over there and we go, oh my goodness, look how green that is over there. Yeah, because that's where God had led you. So sometimes we walk the path where we go, I'm chasing this job, I'm chasing this job, I'm chasing this job, and then we get there and we go, man, look at that guy. Look how well he's doing. He didn't. He's doing whatever it was that he was doing because God called him to that place. Now God, again, is still with you, but it's so much harder. I don't even know where I'm going to look at these notes. I don't really... (laughs) No, <laughs> what's on there anymore? Uh, go with me. Uh, we were in Matthew eight one, and I read that. Go, yes, go and and be present in that place, Turin. Go and show people who God is. Go and mimic what He's given you to mimic. Without without trying to toot my own horn, just a story that. That came from me. We were sitting, I was sitting with a few mates, catching up, a few schoolmates, and a few of us guys had lived together. And we were sitting around chatting around a, a, a table, and one of my mates that I used to live with, he said, we were talking about um, what we missed about living together. And one of my mates said, Oh, he said, oh, I missed that when uh, Ben used to wake up and he would sing Jesus songs all morning. And he was serious. And I, I didn't even, I sat back in my chair and thought, I didn't even remember singing any songs in the morning. But he's like, yeah, yeah, you used to, bro. You used to, when you cook, when you were doing the dishes in the morning, you'd just be busting out Jesus songs. 
And that rattled me because I thought I had always sort of kicked myself for why I hadn't um, better led my mates to, to Christ. And here this guy was saying that the biggest thing that he remembered was a Jesus song that I sang in the morning. And I thought to myself, man, that's what God means when we go in and just be who we are. When we go into a situation and we just be the genuine person that God's made us to be, people pick up on the things that we don't pick up on. Go with me to uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 3. I'm just going to read through this and then I'm going to explain why we're, we're here. 1 Samuel 3 verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to and the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and laid down. And the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did, did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli persevered that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli, sorry, perceived. Now got me again. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that, that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what he seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel... Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now there's so much in this verse but I just want to touch on on a few little things that God was showing me as I was, as I was reading this. Firstly, Samuel knew who the Lord was but he'd never heard his voice. Okay, so he, he, he was in the house with Eli. He would have been being ministered to by Eli, and he was a servant in the house of the Lord, but he wasn't necessarily a servant of the Lord. So it shows a position that, that we can be a servant in the house of the Lord, but not actually know who the Lord is, or know his voice. So Samuel spent time working with his father. He spent time in the house, and yet when God called, he didn't know who it was. So we get caught up in this 
this realm of Christianity, this, this realm where we, we feel like we're doing the right thing, but we have no idea who God is. <laughs> Such a good kid, eh? He's just having a hoot in that even time. You guys will have to sit in here and listen. So we can get ourselves caught up in this place where we feel like we're doing the right thing, but, but God says, I, you don't know who I am. You actually don't know what I've been saying to you this whole time. You've been so caught up with the mechanic of church that you've actually missed the person who asked you to be there. So Samuel goes to sleep. The Lord speaks to him three times. And all three times he misses it. But God still persists to speak to him. We get so panicky that if we miss the call of God, we're going to miss it forever. So you see new Christians go, what has God got for me? What has God got for me? I missed it. Damn, I'm out. But God persisted with Samuel. Samuel, he messed it up. Samuel, he messed it up. Samuel, he messed it up. But then on the fourth time, I think this is the most interesting thing on the fourth time. Eli says to him, Say to the Lord God that you are his servant and you're ready to hear. You see, Eli puts on Samuel, You've got to say you're ready. You've got to say I'm a servant ready to hear and then God will speak to you. So he puts the onus on Samuel to pick up what God's trying to put down. He puts the onus on Samuel for Samuel to put his hand up and say, God, I want to hear what you have for me. I'm ready to listen. I'm your servant and my ears are open. As Christians, so often we get caught in the trap of, God will give it to me and I'll know exactly what I have to do. So I'll just sit here, I'll relax, I'll kick back and we'll just wait till the call comes. But Eli is saying to Samuel, Samuel, put your hand up, tell God that you're ready to serve him and your ears are open, ready to hear. And he'll give you what you need. So Samuel, without question, without batting an eyelid, hears God the the fourth time and he says, God, your servant is here, ready to listen. The posture that Samuel took instantly was to serve God in whatever God had for him. He postured himself in a place where he says, God, you call me and I'm ready to listen. Then God gives him what he perceived as an unthinkable task. I'm not telling my father that. You've essentially just told me that you're going to burn his house to the ground. I'm not telling my father that. I love that God, that, that it's the first time that the Lord has spoken to Samuel in this manner and he gives him an unthinkable task to which Samuel goes, I'm not doing that. When we go through the Old Testament, we find time in and time out that when Jesus, sorry, when the Lord first spoke to Two people, he gave them an unthinkable task. And what I think that shows is it shows the fact of that's God saying to us, are you ready for this? Are you ready to serve me in this manner? But if you notice, of all of the people that that he, he gave that task, he followed with it blessing to carry that task out. He gave them the grace to carry that task out. So he says to Samuel, Samuel, this is the first time that I'm speaking to you, but go to your father and tell him that I'm going to burn his house to the ground because of what he did. So Samuel goes, and predominantly because of his father, egging him into telling him what the Lord had said to him. And then after that, God makes him a prophet to the house. He makes him a prophet to nations because God knew that Samuel 
would walk in what he had for him. He knew that he was a servant ready to serve in any manner of which God would ask him to serve. Not only that, when Samuel went into city after, cities after that, he was known as a prophet of God. From one little act of obedience and an offer up of servanthood, I'm here to serve and my ears are open. God said, here's the nations and they'll all recognize you. I was talking with Edith this morning about the big picture. You know, that we, God gives us the big picture and we expect straight away that God's going to just pop that thing in our lap. But as we see in scripture time in and time out, God goes, here's the big picture and here's the little things I need you to do to get to the big picture. So Samuel knew the big picture because he knew that the Lord was speaking to him, I'm ready, I'm ready to be a prophet for the nations, but do this thing first. Show me that you're ready to do what I called you to do. We can't get to the big picture without the small steps. In all of our lives, in this house, in each of our lives, in everything that we're doing to do what God's called us to do, we've got to take the baby steps. There's two things that I think we learn from this, this scripture. I think there's a lot more that we could spend quite a long time in this, but the two things that I feel God put in my heart when I read this was, are you missing the call that God is giving you? Are you missing him speaking to you? Have you spent the time to understand what that looks like? Are you pressing in? Are you saying to God, I'm ready to serve you and I want to hear what you have for me? Are you asking for that? And the second is, has he given you the call but you're too afraid to act on it? I wonder how many of us, myself included, have been given something by God and we've done a little quick way up and gone, nope. No, thank you. That's too big for me. You know, we have a task in front of us that we, that God's given us and we're going, God, show, show me where you want me. But we're too afraid to act on it. We're too afraid to say to God, I'll step out and take what you have for me. Have we missed what he's saying to us? Are we listening? And has he told us, but we're too afraid to act? Go with me to Romans uh, 12, verse 3. God has given me a grace. Sorry, I'm reading out of the Passion because I just I thought that Brian puts it really well. God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create false image of your importance. Instead, honestly assess your worth by using God-given your God-given faith as a standard of measurement. And then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. Assess your worth by using your, God, your God-given faith as the standard of measurement. Before you assess yourself as to whether or not you're worthy for a task, ask God what he thinks of that. 
Ask God if he thinks that you're a, a nobody or that you can't do the task. Because if he gave you the task, he thinks you can do it. In the human body, there are many parts and organs, each with a unique function. And so it is in the body of Christ. For though we are many, we've all been mingled in one body in Christ. This means that we are all vitally joined to one another, with each contributing to the others. God's marvelous grace imparts to each one of us varying gifts and ministries that are uniquely ours. So if God has given you the grace gift of prophecy, then prophesy. If your grace gift is serving, then thrive in serving serving others well. If you have the grace gift of teaching, then be actively teaching and training others. And if you have the grace gift of encouragement, then use it often to encourage others. If you have the grace gift of giving to meet the needs of others, then may you prosper in your generosity without any fanfare. If you have the gift of leadership, be passionate about your leadership. And if you have the gift of showing compassion, then flourish in your cheerful display of compassion. What would have happened if, if God gave Samuel the ability to prophesy and made him a, a prophet to the nations and then Samuel didn't prophesy? I believe God gives that gift to somebody else who will use it in the areas that he's called, but he called you first. There's a great... Um, a great story, and I won't tell it in detail, but there's a great story of a um, guy by the name of Reinhard Bonnke, if you've heard of him, and he, he got a, a vision for Africa. He was sitting in a hotel room and he saw what he calls a blood-washed Africa. So he packed his bags and he went to Africa, and, he, and on the day that he flew into Africa, there was another evangelist who was there doing the job that he was called to do, but he had been disheartened and he was packing up and leaving. And Reinhard speaks of the fact that he called that man first, but he no longer wanted to fulfill what God had for him. So he laid it down and God called Reinhardt. And from that place, Africa has been changed by this man that God called. But he called somebody else firstly. You see, there's so many times that we get called to a a job, but we either don't hear what God has to say or we get caught up in the fear of it and we refuse to take it. And God has to give it to somebody else because the job still has to get done. But the blessing that you get to receive from that job that God called you to is now no longer yours. Now, yes, we don't do it for the blessing, but God pours out on his children when they act in service of him. So what I'm trying to get us to do, myself included, is to spur up in the fact that what has God got for me? There's nothing more upsetting than to see people who have passions and dreams and desires and gifts and watch them go to nothing because they don't have the ability to hear what they are or the fact that they're too afraid to act in them. How many preachers have we got that don't preach? How many leaders do we have that don't lead? And I don't just mean this in this house, I mean in all the houses across the Gold Coast and within all our lives as well. If you're, a, if you're a family man and you're called to lead your family, are you leading? We have to be asking ourselves these questions, God, what do you have for me in this place? And you know, this is, this is matched with the fact that this thing is so important. The reality of what we're here doing is so important. We're on the fight of our lives. And I truly believe that God has something for this, this nation. There was a, um, a prophet by the name of 
Gary Morgan, who about two months ago, I think it was two months ago, um, had a prophecy that, that God was going to bring a, a fresh rain to Australia and that that fresh rain was going to be marked with um, real flooding that's, that hasn't been seen in this country for generations. And I think it was the next month we got all this news about the fact that we've got rain coming that's bigger than, than any rain that we've ever seen. And people are sharing this prophecy around saying, this guy nailed this thing. People who don't necessarily believe in prophecy, people who are saying, what, how could this, of this guy known what was happening? God is doing something. Whether you believe that or not, whether you, you want to buy into that or not, I believe truly with all that I am that something is coming and I want to be a part of it. We have to begin to ask, what does God have for me? And then listen and remove fear and act. Mike Eltringham, one of the, um, our apostolic father, I guess, to the house, he, um, he was just in Europe and he, and he began preaching on the fact that God is looking for maturity in Christians. He's looking for a mature church. He's looking for a church to, to step up and to take what God has for us and to act on that. But we only mature as Christians when we get involved with what God has for us. We can only mature when we're willing to say, God, I'm a servant and I'm willing to do what you want me to do. We can't be called into maturity when we sit in the same task we've had for the last 15, 20 years. We can't mature when we do the same thing day in, day out without stepping out of our comfort zone and going, God, I'm going to give this a crack. And if the, the waves smash up against my boat, I refuse to get out. When we begin to get encouraged by this thing and begin to go, God, this is real and I can see what you're doing here, where do I fit in? When we put our hand up and say, God, I'll serve, he'll give us the place that we fit in. maturity of Christians is where this church will thrive. Not just this house, but the church of Christ. When we start getting mature believers who band together instead of fighting against one another, we start to, to begin to change things in this city, in this nation, and in the nations. Coco and I had a meeting during the week with a guy who some of you may know. He, he used to come here a little while ago. Um, and I was so blown away with the fact that he sat with us for two and a half hours to speak about worship and, and, and how we can grow our team and how we can better serve the body of Christ in the area of worship. And he sat with us for hours and he was telling me of some of the things that they've been going through and how busy he is. And he didn't have time to meet with us. But he did. And when he, when he began speaking about the church, when he began speaking about what we are to do and how exciting it was, it was so, I was sitting there thinking, if I was in the secular world and I was paying for business advice, this would be worth a ton. They could charge me five or six grand for a consultation like this. But because his passion and his desire is to see the kingdom of God succeed in this, in this nation, he sat with us for free with just passion in his bones. And he didn't have to do that, but my point is, is that people are starting to revel in the fact that God's doing something and I want to do my part.
and he's doing his part in a gigantic way. Those small little things that he meets where he takes time out of his day to come and sit with us is because he's acting in his gift. And he's saying, God told me to do this, so I'm doing it. Yes, I don't know how I'm going to get those things done, but I know this is important, so I'm doing it. And I'm trusting that God will come through in those areas. So when we face giants in our life and we look at things and we go, what do I know? I know what God's called me to do and I know I'm not getting out of the boat. So I'm going to keep plugging along and God, I trust that you're going to keep fighting it with me. I want to finish with a, um, with a, uh, excerpt, a, a writing, I guess, from, from Brian Simmons. Um, and it is a challenge, but I want us to listen to the words in this challenge. And he, I think it was a vision that he got, a, um, a, a, a word that he got from God to him, but he explains that, that it's, it's of, it's to the church, the current church. And it, it came out of Proverbs 28, verse 1. Um, so why don't you just close your eyes I'm just going to read it it's it's relatively long and then I'm going to pray and then we can go home but I I just want these words to challenge you I've read this probably 40 times and I just want the words of this thing to challenge you in a positive way I call you to action This is the hour of receiving and possessing my promise for your future. Many will hear my promise of hope and my word of power, but hearing is no longer enough. Step out and take it as your own. Be bold and courageous until faith spills out from you. For I am the God who promised the land of Canaan to my servant Joshua. I gave him multiple promises of the vast and glorious land. I gave him my word that I will make him victorious in battle but I also require of him. Place your feet upon the land, possess it, and it will be yours. Take my promises today and possess all that I give to you. The promises I gave to Joshua are promises that I give to you. Step out in faith and put your feet upon my promises and claim them as your own. Do not be timid or shrink back when you are summoned, surrounded by your giants but see your giants as opportunities for my power and might to win your battles. Many see the giants and hide in fear, but I've called you to hide in me, and then you will find courage to step into the fray and see your enemies defeated. Your faith must grow in order for you to take the promises that I have made to you. Every word of promise over your life I will fulfill as your partner with me. Do not listen to the voices that tell you to be passive, for I have called you to exercise your faith until you are mighty in your God to do, to do exploits. Giants are defeated around you as fear is defeated within you. Never doubt my power to fulfill your destiny and make your dreams come true, for I am the father of fulfilled dreams and the God of sovereign power, and nothing can defeat my plan for your life except your fear and your passivity. So arise now and place your feet upon the promise. Make them yours and see them fulfilled and go out to conquer. For I am your God and I will never leave you or abandon you. The innocent lovers of God will have the boldness of a young, ferocious lion. Father, we thank you, God. Father, we thank you that you call us on this journey, God. 
And we thank you, Father, that that you sit face to face with us, Father. That That no matter how many times you call and we don't listen, you'll call again and again and again until we finally get it. God, I just pray right now that every heart in this place will be unlocked to the purposes and the plans that you have for them. That they will be unlocked, God, to the journey that you have and the blessings that come with that, Father. Lord, we stand right now in the ark, Lord Jesus, and we proclaim your name in this place. We proclaim your name over every situation that people face, those known and those unknown, Father. We proclaim who you are in this place, God. We proclaim that in that ark, no cancer can touch us. No depression can rattle us. And no sorrow can bring us undone. just thank you God and we honour you the very reason that we do this Father is because we don't know where else to go Lord that you are the wellspring of our life Father everything that we could ever want or need Lord and I just thank you I just pray Lord Father that in every situation in this place your kingdom come and your will be done here Your will in this place, Father. We love you. We just worship your wonderful name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, family. I hope that that's helpful. Um, There's some things there you can take. Um, We're all in this together. We're not going to sing the song because that's weird, but sing it in your head. Uh, the Billy is on, I believe, and Kieran's put together some scrumptious cakes out there, I also believe. So go and get a cake, get a Billy, have a chat, and we'll see you sometime. Love you guys.